you know, I, and so I do think it's really important to point to those models and just be like, look, you can support people this much. And again, the, the wheels don't fall off society. This is, you know, these Nordic countries are actually wealthy. Yes, they have, they do have problems. I think it's really important to talk about uh, the fact that there's a kind of welfare social, sorry, welfare chauvinism or xenophobia rising. But I think also to, to, to contextualize that economically and say it's actually because people fear the, you know, it, and, to some degree, it is actually because people fear losing what they have. They're still in, again, insecurity is forward looking. So even if you're sitting in Finland with your baby box, <laughs> you know, and your job, you know, if you have any political awareness, you know that that can, this, this can be taken away from you and that there are forces eager to privatize the welfare state, or maybe you have the vague sense there's just not enough to go around because you've been listening to, right-wing commentators or whatever. Um, and that these, these anxieties, you know, uh, you know, are, are fueling the, the right-wing turn. Um, yeah, in terms of my own, you know, political imagination, um, and how it was formed, uh, there is a chapter where, um, I talk, well, I talk about my two grandmothers in the book in different chapters, because one is the quintessential Canadian, hippie, if there's such a thing, who um, in the 1960s goes and, and moves to the Yukon Territory, which for listeners who don't know, it's a, it's like basically near Alaska. It goes you know to the it's next to the Arctic. Um, and my other American libertari libertarian grandma who lived uh, south by the Mexican border. And in the book, I actually toned my grandma down because I just thought the truth of her is too much. Um, and so I tried to use her in a way that both made some political points, but also would get some laughs. But the truth is when I was giving the lecture, I, I gave that specific lecture that mentions my libertarian grandmother in Vancouver. And, you know, I, I don't know, I thought the stories I told were really funny, but uh, the Canadians in the audience just like looked so mortified. <laughs> You're just like, like, what the fuck? That lady's your grandma. Um, <laughs> because I tell, you know, I told, tell the story about how, I was like a seven or eight year old vegetarian. I'm so vegetarian. And I'd go to grandma's house and she would like purposefully put bacon grease in her cookies just to torture me. Um, <laughs> that was like just the tip of the iceberg with her. So she was a diehard Randian. I will say that she was introduced to Ayn Rand in Canada. So Canada is not guilt free on this point. Um, but she, um, you know, so for example, one thing I don't say in the book is that my, my sister, my younger sister, Sonora Taylor, who's a, a really interesting writer and thinker in her own right, um, who does a lot of work around disability justice and, and the environment, um, is a wheelchair user. <laughs> you know, and we were, and when we were kids, my grandmother would say, well, you know, there's no such things as rights. Sonora doesn't have rights. She's just dependent on the charity of the family. Like she's just lucky that our society is charitable and doesn't leave her to die in the woods. <laughs> this is grandma's libertarian political vision. Right. And, um, and, and, uh, so it was incredibly formative and she could just tell like from the time I was six years old that like something was off with me and I had socialistic tendencies. Um, and so we were always, uh, butting heads, but, her, her political, um, extremism and her fundamentally her lack of care, what I felt was a lack of care, um, uh, and naivete about, um, capitalism really did shape my perspective, you know, from, from a, a young age. Um, and, um, you know, she was someone who, 
you know, absolutely could not envision a role, a positive role for this, a positive role for the state. Um, and, uh, and that was just something. Yeah. So that was just something that, you know, I was wrestling with a lot, even as like a really young person before I sort of fully understand, sorry, before I fully understood her, her worldview or the implications of it. Um, you know, it, just seemed very clear to me that we needed some kind of entity that would regulate things like pollution, that would guarantee <laughs> uh, the provision of things like education or safe transport or, um, you know, uh, healthcare for people. Um, but, uh, but she had, um, she just had, you know, an, a, a very, very different worldview. But my hope, you know, is also that, that part makes people laugh a little bit at least because otherwise it's you know it's uh, there's a lot of otherwise very serious commentary in the book <laughs> and if you it, can't make fun of your family what else can you do you know <laughs> it, it, uh, it it strikes me you you said you said southern border right southern border of yeah, the united uh, states yeah mexico so yeah mexico yeah. uh arizona mm-hmm. yeah and i i think that that gets into you know the the libertarianism is a kind of a disease of privilege, I would say, um, you know, where you're like li- literally sitting on land that was stolen from Mexico by the federal government, you know, and then you're like, oh, the, the government's not doing anything for me. We need to like cut back all this stuff, you know, it's like, it's just, it should, the government should do things that benefit me and not other people, you know, it's, it's sort of what it boils down to practically, even if that's not how people sort of see it in their heads. Um, 100%. And she, you know, she was, for example, very against the border and, and thought people should have free travel, you know, to pursue work for corporations who would be the sort of leviathans. And so it was also this, you know, juxtaposition. You know, anyway, all the incoherence, incoherent aspects of, of libertarianism, which is, okay, so there's free movement, but private property, like, right, exactly, like, you know, her land, her, her, she really, you know, her land was hers. But as you say, you know, her, her land was on stolen land. Um, and there, of course, had to be a state to protect her property interests, you know, but not one to provide, you know, something like, you know, schooling. Yeah. Um, that's what it, it is to have property means that the state yes. protects those property rights. It's not, yes. your, it's a relationship between people, not objects, you know, yeah. it's not my land. It's because I have deeds and I can call the police or sue if somebody mm-hmm. trespasses. That's what property is. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. But it's also fiction. It's a fictional, it's a fictional bullshit boundary that as you pointed out so many times in your writing, uh, Astrid, like. We are actually bound up together. We're not actually separated in those ways. And if you fucking put toxic chemicals in the soil, I don't care if that's your soil, that's going to permeate through the ground and reach other people. If you're going to pollute the air above your head, that's going to fuck up other people too, because we're actually connected in ways that these fictions, um, you know, obscure. That's the end of the preview, folks. As usual, we like to mention that this podcast is sponsored by the American Prospect magazine. So if you want to listen to the whole thing... Uh, You could subscribe at $5 a month if you want that, plus a free subscription to the website, uh, plus the opportunity for a steeply discounted print subscription. You can do that, if you so wish, at $10 a month. And uh, otherwise, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.